0: Ronaldo. Oh my
1: goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world.
0: Messi.
2: Messi. Messi.
1: Three-nothing. Landon Donovan. There are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross and Deb sees tonight again. And Donovan has scored. Oh, can you believe? time,
0: the United States of America are crowned champions of the world.
1: From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports.
2: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of FUVFC. We're doing it cross state lines here over zoom unfortunately not in studio this week because of some uh, we'll call them scheduling conflicts Uh, I am of course James Burley alongside my good friends Nick Guzman Gino Alvin Nick I'll go to you first how are you my man
0: I'm doing great it's Friday always always a good thing FUVFC no matter whether on zoom we're in studio it's always fun to chat with you guys so just happy to be back
1: yeah I'm having a good week uh especially from a Man United perspective. I mean, today, we, like a couple of minutes ago, we just had some breaking news uh, with this, you know, guitar investment bit. So it's a very exciting day and, you know, Champions League and Europa League. So it's a good week for a Man United fan, and for especially football fans with, you know, the Champions League and Europa League coming back.
2: Yeah, we got a lot to get into and we're, we're going to have to uh, cram it into a short amount of time because online episode when we're over Zoom, we got to shorten these things up. So we're going to try our best going straight into it If the Champions League, I think we're going to have to talk about on Tuesday, it's probably the two of bigger games of the four. You had PSG, Bayern, Milan, and uh, Tottenham. Bayern 1-0 over PSG, Milan 1-0 over Tottenham. We got to talk about the big boys. PSG, Bayern, this game kind of lived up to the bill and kind of didn't. There was drama, there was flair, there was two heavyweights going at it. I think the Pavard second yellow was kind of... Not as dramatic as maybe people wanted to say it was. It was in the 92nd minute. I think Bayern have set themselves up not only for a really strong second leg with the win, but Kingsley Coman scoring against his former team. There's emotion there. I don't know. I thought PSG really did not put up enough of a fight. Donnarumma uh been criticized a lot for that goal. And Nick, what was your take on that game?
0: You know, there were questions going in about Messi's fitness, whether or not he would be able to play. And we've seen he ended up playing, but we see we've seen PSG so many times over the years in these knockout games where they just don't quite have the same fight or the same tactical, you know, wherewithal as the Bayern Munichs of the world. Liverpool, a couple years ago, maybe not this year, but teams like that, Real Madrid, who are going to go on and win, you know, the teams that are going to go on and win this tournament, PSG in the knockout stage consistently seem like they're a step below that. And that's no matter who the manager is or what, 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 how they set up who they're starting. Bayern Munich. It's been a bit of a rough year in the Bundesliga. We all know how special union Berlin has, have been this year, but we all know what they can do and to be able to go to the park de France and, and get that common goal. Even if Donnarumma probably should have done a little bit better it sets them up nicely for for the return, like, back at the Allianz.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you talk about, you know, Paris and coming into the Champions League, their main objective in every season is to win a Champions League. You know, forget about Ligue 1, forget about, you know, the domestic cups, but their aim is to always, you know, get to the final and win Champions League. They haven't done that in three seasons so far. But, you know, watching that match, you know, seeing you know, Messi and Neymar starting, Mbappe not starting, you know, surprised many, but not really. But the match overall was, you know, pretty Bayern, uh, you know, static. I mean, they were controlled most of the ball. And when it was Messi and Neymar on the pitch, they were just on the countertags. And I think everybody saw like once, you know, Mbappe came in, the whole, you know, game changed. You know, he scored two goals and, you know, they're offside, but it just changed the whole game the way Mbappe was coming in. So, for Bayern to, you know, get that win. It, it was a very sloppy game. It really wasn't an exciting game to watch, but overall Bayern got the job done. And You know, they're going back home with, you know, goal away, and, you know, away goals into not count anymore, so it's definitely going to be an interesting second leg, but yeah, like, you know, PSG is a, is a team of individuals, and, you know, they're not going to, you know, they're going to try to get that win, but you know definitely if they want to score goals and they want to win the match they want to which that's like a leg in the Alliance arena you know, they definitely have to start Mbappe because Mbappe definitely you know elevates the game
2: yeah and I, I I think PSG you're right Gina they always come into the season with the goal is Champions League it's the trophy that that they that uh, that has eluded them now for so long and that, that that's the one that they want and they always seem to be a team that Every other team can look at and say, this is PSG is a team you have to beat in order to, beat the, in order to win the Champions League. And PSG is on that list of teams right there with Real Madrid, Bayern, uh, Barca, Liverpool, City, and City and this is the same deal with City too, where they know that they're in the top caliber of clubs, but they just can't seem to break the culture of losing in the knockouts to the teams that are just as good as them. And I think a lot of that is being a team of individual players. Uh, i think that's that's incredible it's a strong it's a criticism that people have had of psg for a very long time in the champions league and i think they're continuing to show it and i know it's not exactly fair to say that they're made worse by having messi and neymar but because they obviously aren't but there is a dynamic there that that doesn't uh, equate to getting wins in football's greatest club competition uh as for uh, milan and tottenham though strong win from Milan an early goal and they held on. It was really the story of the game. Spurs I look at that front three of Sun, Kane, and Kulisevsky, and I just can't imagine that they don't create more goals. But for, for me, this one was was again like another tactical battle. Was it was a little bit sloppy. I think that was a trend for most of the games where we saw a lot of sloppy play, even in the Europa League with United and Barca, which we'll get to. Um Gino, I'll go to this one. I'll go to you first for this one. How did you think this one played out? Strong win for AC Milan. They set themselves up, but of course they were at home in this one.
1: Yeah, definitely the storyline for Raheem Diaz being on loan from Real Madrid and scoring that you know early goal. Um, I just when I look at you know Tottenham in the Champions League, when they whenever they play you know big name teams in Milan, you know, Italy in Italy, you're in, in England and Spain, they seem to like disappear. And you know, like you said, James, those that front three, you expect to see more chances. Of, you know partially for the the uh, form of you know son Kane and Canicolbeski. Um I, I I I didn't watch you know that game that much cuz I was definitely watching the other game but you know it was just a very boring game and you know I expect more from Spurs the way they were playing but uh definitely definitely they need to step it up in the second leg you know they're going to be at home but uh you know it always comes to, it comes to when I go back to like you know you know Paris and, and Bayern, you know, Mbappe not starting. You know, Tottenham has a striker. You know, he, they have the player too, that has that's capable to, to score the goals. So uh, definitely, definitely a slow game. But you know, Milan got their goal, and it was a very sloppy goal too. But you know, at the end of the game, trying to score the goals and trying to get to the second leg with the goal away. So we've we've seen how dynamic
0: the the duo of Kane and Son can be. Uh, we saw it all last year. We've seen it for really so many years now and the fact that this season it's been a kind of a down year for him mid-son and harry kane's trying to shoulder that load you know pretty much by himself and it's just led to spurs not creating nearly as many goals as they should and like you were saying james it seems like a front three of those three guys kane sun kosevsky should be able to create a lot more than they do but it's just not the case. The good news is they only conceded one, and going back home to to, to North London and being down just a goal, it's it, it's it's definitely doable for them to turn it around. But Milan are going to set up well defensively, and Spurs are going to have the work cut out for them. They just need something more, a little more spark up top, whether it's coming from Richarlison or or anybody with Lucas Moura, just these. Whatever the trio is up there for Spurs just hasn't been working. And Hyunmin Son is an incredible player, but this year he's not been the guy that, that we're used to seeing. And it's frustrating to see as someone who loves him as a player. He's so dynamic with the ball at his feet. You can score from anywhere from outside the box. And just the fact that that hasn't really clicked for him this year, it's disappointing to see.
2: Yeah, I think it's certainly disappointing. I've, but just to touch on... Something I alluded to a minute ago, I, the sloppiness of some of the games that we saw this week, maybe, maybe I'm overanalyzing here, but a lot of managers have started to complain about the uh, condensed schedules due to the World Cup and now forcing so many matches in a row. Uh, a lot of injuries are uh, accumulating because of that. Uh, maybe there's a correlation there. I don't, just wanted to speak my piece on that before we moved on to, I think we should talk Dortmund Chelsea because Nick, uh, Chelsea, man, what is going on? This is this this was this was not good in any stretch of the words. 21 21 shots and and they couldn't manage to find the back of the net. They're going to move on from Christian Pulisic. We know that. That's that's pretty much a guarantee at this point. And I'm like, I know this is the American in me, but I'm starting to look he's at he's not the bad one. I'm looking at matches like this, and i feel like he could be a solution here because they 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 are so I feel like they're incredibly good at getting the ball into good and dangerous areas but then it's the it's just I I don't know they miss the a final factor and it's a similar problem that the men's national team has that Christian Pulisic has to have dealt with now on both sides of the ball so Nick what what do you think is this match am I am I my bloviating for no reason is this match speak to a bigger issue about the club obviously they're spending like crazy we all know that so what's the deal here
0: it's insane that no matter what combination of players you put in, you can buy buy a whole new squad of players and put them up front for Chelsea and they can't score. It's, I don't have an explanation for it. You bring in Mudrick, you bring in Zhao Felix, you, you buff up the midfield, Enzo Fernandez, you do all these things and the ball still will not go in the back of the net. I think, you know, this is the American in me coming out. Christian Pulisic has been a scapegoat for Chelsea he's injured right now and they still cannot score or create anything
2: and speaking of sorry I have to cut go ahead go ahead speaking of American scapegoats don't even get me started on Jesse Marsh but go ahead
0: (laughs) I'm not gonna get you started on Jesse Marsh Chelsea there's been some people you know I've seen online you know talking about how maybe some of the defensive signings haven't been great, like Kukurea. That's not the problem at all. It's really not. You can't win games if you don't score goals. And whether it's Kai Havertz starting up front, if it's uh, Ziesh is in the team, if it's Mudrick, the ball's not going to the back of the net. Whether it's Mason Mount, when Pulisic's healthy, they've gone through, this has been a problem now, it was a problem under Thomas Tuchel. It's now a problem under Graham Potter. And... I don't know what the solution is. I'm almost dumbfounded because they've spent so much money bringing in new players. And I think we've seen the quality of, that Budrick has, and that I think he's going to be a very good player, but still there's nobody who's going to put the ball in the back of the net right now. And it's the most frustrating, infuriating thing to watch Budrick dribble compilations on YouTube. And then there's just no end product to any of Chelsea's play. It's, it's infuriating, but Rant over bottom line, Chelsea need to find a way to score goals, or else they're gonna
1: be out. When they bring like a number of players to Chelsea in the January transfer window, do Chelsea do Chelsea fans have to blame the management of Grant Potter and on how he's handling the number of players they brought in, especially with you know with the team he's already had and that performance against Bruce Dorman. Are, are the fans aiming at the management under Potter or is it just, you know, the board bringing a number of players spending a lot of money and, you know, all of that ha- happened to that loss against Borussia. I think Graham Potter's a very
0: good manager. If you look at what he's done in his career at Brighton and then before that, the things he's accomplished are, are immense in number. He's a good, Thomas Tuchel is also a good manager. I, it's, it's frustrating to see this happening. I think it's partially a matter of of signings gelling, and when you bring in all these new players and asking them to gel immediately, maybe that's not something that that can happen right away. And I think maybe by the end of this season, we'll see Chelsea starting to put the ball in the back of the net. But there's just a the part of me that's like, and the same thing even going back to you know 2021 when Chelsea won the Champions League, it was. It was opportune goals and and good defending that got them to that final, and an, and a great pass from Mason Mount to Kai Havertz to score the only goal in that final. And I feel like Chelsea have the tools maybe to go on a similar run like that, but the ball's not going to the back of the net, and that's the biggest thing, and that's the thing that has to change. And I feel like I've said this so many times in FBVFC, when Thomas Tuchel was in charge, when you know Aubameyang was up front for, when that was happening, just. And it hasn't changed at all. And that's the most frustrating thing as a Chelsea fan.
2: I I look at the slate of players that they brought in and incredibly big names on there, obviously Jaw Felix, you know, but I I I I think about the makeup of this team, and I look at this lineup that they brought out against Dortmund, and I see like seven attacking midfielders playing at once and no pure number nine. I think you want the ball back in the net in the back of the net. Kai Havertz is a generational talent, in my opinion. But he's not a striker. We know this. Yet, Grant Potter is a terrific manager. I agree. They They need more solutions up top. I don't think they need to go buy out even more players. That's not the answer. They need to have a clear, cohesive idea of what their number nine is going to do. Because Kai Havertz is not that, in my opinion. I know that's up for debate. But, I mean, you could ask him personally. He would tell you he's not a striker. Anyway. Benfica with a big win over Club Bruges, both teams that were kind of surprises in the group stage, I think both teams that kind of uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say were massive surprises, but both both certainly punched a little bit above their weight. And it was a strong dominant win for Benfica. There's just no other way to say it. They deserved. They deserved a 2-0 win and they got it. It took it took a PK to open the scoring for John Mario, but there was there was there was just cruising after that David Neres icing in the cake in the 88th minute. Uh, Just, I think another quick one that these guys, Benfica, are like actually a legitimate side who can go on it. Like another pretty impressive run, like they have before. That's that's an opinion I'll throw out. That's a take. You can you can agree with that or not. I I I do think that uh, Gonzalo Ramos is is gonna bring back his uh, World Cup form in the uh, in the second leg, and he's gonna bag another hat trick. So that's that's I'll put that on the air right now. I don't care.
0: It's it's a. I like this matchup between. Club Bruges and Benfica, because it's two of the, the, the best stories from the group stage. You know, mm-hmm. no expected Club Bruges to get out of there. No expected Benfica to top PSG. And Benfica, I mean, I'd, I'd say Club Bruges are more of a Cinderella team. I think Benfica are legitimately very good. good
2: side. I think I think they're like semi-final uh, good. I think they can they can go far. And, and
0: they've been doing it in the Portuguese League, too. They've got a, a five-point lead over Porto. And for in first place, I think this is a side that I don't know if you can call them a dark horse now they're already in the the, the knockout stages, but I think they're going to get through Club Bruges. And then, you know, typically when you get to the quarterfinals, if you're a team like Real Madrid and you draw Benfica, you'll be like, oh, that's cool. But I think this is a very, very good Benfica side that could cause a lot of damage to the it.
1: What, what, what I will say about this match like I think Club Bruges did a well job, a, a good well job at the on the match. But you know, if you look at the goals, you know, it was the penalty and the second goal was definitely a gift to Medica. To I mean sloppy defensive uh line right there from, from Club Bruge. But yeah, like we were saying, they, like there's always stories in the Champions League with these teams. Last year was Villarreal, they made the semifinals. Uh Liverpool played against them and at some point Liverpool were gonna go out semifinals and Villarreal was going to be in the final. And then a couple of years ago, you know, Roma and that classic fairy tale story against Barcelona. So for Club Bruges to, you know, lose that home like that, I think it was a blow to them. But, you know, once they go to second leg, like Benfica, you know, with the loss of Darwin Nunez too, I mean, look how they shaped up. Something, you know, you know, Chelsea could have done, but it is what it is. So definitely an eye out. Definitely to to watch out for Benfica, wherever they match up in the, in the quarterfinals if they make it through. But uh, it was definitely a good match for Club Bruges and definitely a wake up call for them when it comes to the second leg.
2: Well, I just just another thing to touch on on Bruges before we move on to a little Europa League. Um, they, they're kind of struggling in the Belgian league as it is right now. Um, mentioning that they punch above their weight in the Champions League, uh, they totally totally did, but they're in, sitting in fourth, twenty points I think off of first. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's as many as twenty, but something like that off of first in the Belgian Pro League too. Uh, to Genko I believe are playing right now if I'm not mistaken all the schedules are messed up and and this is why we had we had like a totally decisive uh, Premier League title race match in the same week as same day as Champions League games it was this is this is I go back on the scheduling thing this is too much for some of the players and it's too much for some of the fans and podcast hosts Uh, that's that's what I'm thinking but anyway to talk about the Europa League we're only going to talk about one match and you already know which one it is Two of the biggest clubs of all time, Barca, United. This was, I think, uh, like the other Champions League games, incredibly sloppy, wide open, chaotic. But it was entertaining from the first second to the last second, especially the second half. The first 45 minutes were, like, ugly, and then the second half was ugly but entertaining. We got four goals, and I think I think we got a the correct scoreline, too. I think this was an even match, all things considered. Obviously, Barca dominating possession over 60 60% possession but both teams firing off 18 shots I think it was an I think it was a fair match I think um United were really impressive in the counter-attack especially um and I think the refereeing was dreadful but other than that I if I'm a United fan I take this as as a victory almost because to go to the go to Camp Nou come away with a draw is an incredibly difficult thing to do even though Barca is the Barca of now and not the Barca of yesterday And I still think that this is up for grabs at Old Trafford, but United, I think, are in the driver's seat.
0: Yeah, regardless of, like, the sloppiness of the game, it felt like it was supposed to. Like, it felt like like the way a Man United-Barcelona matchup is supposed to feel. It didn't feel like, you know, a sixth-place Manchester United playing against a a third-place Barcelona side who has no chance of winning the league. It felt like two teams who actually have something to say and have a style of play that is cohesive and that they're trying to build. It's It, it just makes me happy to see that. Because Man United-Barcelona, one of my first you know, soccer memories, 2011 Champions League final, where at Wembley, Barcelona won that game 3-1. And that was sort of like the pinnacle of, of the Pep Guardiola ball era, tiki-taka. And that, at that time, those were two heavyweights. They've since fallen. But it looks like they're on their way up. And for for United in this game, I think a, a bunch of a, a couple of eyebrows were raised with you know where Valdebebas was playing, uh, you know, sort of as a, a ten. I I it, I I raised my eyebrow at it. But watching that that game, it kind of worked, which was like a little absurd. Like that shouldn't work. You shouldn't be able to stick your six foot six, you know target forward up there but it it did work which is crazy but I think we've talked about it so much the the addition of Casemiro and what that does in the middle and just to to sure up United and everything they're trying to do but the big thing for for Barcelona is there's going to be no Gavi no Pedri for for the return leg and that is a big big deal going to Old Trafford and trying to win without your two best midfield players is a tall tall task but if if this first leg is anything to go on, you know I'll take sloppy if if it means both teams are really really, you know into the game and there's hard tackles and there's refereeing controversy. It was entertaining, and that's about all I can ask for.
2: Gino, are you still with us here? If not, I can hop in. Um, yeah, just real quick. Wow, Waghorst, about that—he is a terrific distributor of the ball. It's actually insane how he does that from that frame. You know what I'm saying? Um, as for as for Casemiro, that addition is everything. The only thing is when he shush the crowd. At All the Barca fans who already hate him for his days at Real Madrid and then like dapped up Varane, they both immediately, he, Casimiro only not only gave up the ball, but immediately gets split by Lewandowski and the goal goes in to tie things up. Um, I think one thing that Barca should probably reconsider, they let Rashford run them dry on the uh, counter. Uh, Kunde was getting exposed. The own goal, eventually, like that was a couple weird bounces in that and unfortunate, but I do think that. Uh, Araujo would be probably a better matchup for for Rashford just for just for lockdown ability. I think Kunde is a terrific defender too, but he was getting exposed in that one. I love for- that
0: Marcus Rashford is an elite player again. Yes, because
2: there he's was a winner
0: uh, last year. A lot of people were saying a lot of things, myself included, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit, of slandering Rashford a little bit at times. But he, when he's when he's going at full pace and running at the defense, there's not many better sights. In world football, it's it's almost majestic the way he runs the defenders and and his long strides and he can finish too. this is the Marcus Rashford that, you know, everybody thought he was, uh, you know, last year it was 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 a little bit rough for him, but he's just such a weapon for this United attack.
2: No, he's he's a terrific player. He could do just about anything Um as Gino works on getting his Internet back. We're going to move on to. Arsenal City, which was, I think, a pretty uh, telling result for what the Premier League title race is going to look like down the line. City three, Arsenal one. Bukayo Saka leveled things up at halftime with a penalty after De Bruyne scored on that dreadful giveaway, and then it was Graylish and Holland who uh, put the nail in the coffin in later in the second half. I I still think that there was a lot to like about Arsenal's performance. Uh, specifically in possession but they they had to do better in front of goal uh, City are just they're they're just they'll they'll murder you if you give them an inch and that's what happened in the end um I do think City now I think the the betting odds have them as the favorite to win the Premier League now and uh it's, it's going to be pretty hard to argue that I mean after what we saw in this one this is now what twice and twice in a week and a half that they've that they've uh, beaten Arsenal and they are now top of the table, even though Arsenal do have that game in hand. So I just it's been a terrific run for City, honestly. Since since you know facing adversity earlier in the year, and now people are already talking about the Arsenal bottle job. Uh, I I'm not ready to call. I wouldn't it call it a bottle job, job. when Man City is uh, yeah. this good,
0: right? Yeah, it's more like you just got caught. Like yeah. you didn't you didn't choke. Just like there's an unstoppable force that is inevitably going to finish the top of the league that has all the best players and added the best striker in the world. Like that's never good. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't choke anything away.
2: And, and that's, that's all, that's all that really needs to be said about this game in the end. In my opinion, they played against the team that was already incredible and bought the best striker in the world. And they already have the best manager. And I'll tell you what city though, they are human because this season has shown that they are human. Yeah, they're starting to not look human again, though, and that's 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 not good because they will run run away with the title if that is the case.
1: And now Jack City had a well job. Like, yeah, yeah well.
0: it's it's there's and but for Arsenal, it does sting a little bit, you know, that first goal that Tommy oh, also yeah. to give giveaway is just horrendous, like, you don't need to be doing that against against Man City, and I think the second half really kind of showed. Where this title race is going to end up towards the end of the year? The the, the no Thomas Partey was a big deal for Arsenal.
2: Um, he, he he never played like if you look at his record against like the top teams, he is always injured against City United. I feel like Spurs, I see the headline limited. Thomas Partey out for huge game. Yeah, like, every every time it was a big game. It's and I I, I got a feel for you got to feel for him because like that's that's the moment. That's why you live as a player. The, those are the games that you you, you circle on the calendar. And you need a player like Thomas Partey to be the foundation in the midfield. And mm-hmm. I think that even though they were still good in possession, they didn't do enough with that possession. And City were able to pounce on them for that. And I think City are going to be able to pounce on just about every team that they face in the final uh, 19 or so games we have left, I think. No, it's definitely less than 19, 15 or so games.
1: We've played.
0: City have played 23, some people have played 22. So yeah, so like 15. 15,
2: 15, 16. All right, so moving on, we're gonna bring things stateside. Yes, we are. Women's national team. She believes Cup is back. That's right, Gino. If you guys are just listening to this one, Gino just went crazy when I said that She believes Cup is back. He's big She believes definitely Cup man. Crazy, definitely, definitely. No, but actually, it was. It, this is an interesting time for uh, for women's soccer with the World Cup coming up, with what's going on in the Canadian Federation, with the pay disputes with between the men's and women's national team. Now, even though the women's team has had their most successful year with the, you know, winning gold and they were kind of outclassed by the U S and you kind of don't really have much else to say about that because of what's going on with them emotionally. I mean, Canada are obviously still a terrific team and put up a great fight. I think they should be proud of the way that they performed, but it was, uh, Nick, I think it was your favorite baseball players, uh, spouse who scored both goals for the US Mallory Swanson and uh, and it was a 2-0 win for the for the US women's team and i think it is a good start to what is going to be a, t- a tough tournament and really that i'm i'm looking at this tournament really is just and I'm, I'm i think the players are i think this is kind of the dialogue as a tune up for the world cup against three of three other favorites to go far in the tournament and in the other match it was uh Brazil Japan Brazil Ended up winning one nil, a very very tight game. Both both teams had decent chances, but decent decent to solid chances, but couldn't make it count. And then Marta comes in off the bench and immediately assists uh, Davinia four minutes later. So yeah. that's that's the Marta effect for you. Still kicking it, uh, and still one of the one of the best players on the pitch every time she steps on. So I think that's something that that will be a good test for the U.S. coming going forward. But I think a strong two nil win over Canada Nick any thoughts about she believes cup
0: I don't hate Danzy, Danzy Swanson as much anymore now that he's not in the Braves
2: fair fair fair, fair. but I I,
0: I I like seeing just the like some fresh faces in this US, U.S. women's national team and fresh young faces who are really really good Trinity Rodman is a incredible player
2: up front that that front three of swanson morgan rodman was was pretty electric
0: that's about as electric as of a front free as you can front three as you can get yeah and it's you combine the experience of morgan the i mean swanson's been she went to the world cup she's been i mean she was she's been playing on the national team she was like 16 and trinity rodman it's it's an electric front electric front three and I think they just kind of proved in this game that they're a step above Canada and it's all building towards this summer and just finding out what the right combinations and permutations of players is is perfect for for a tournament run because the the talent in this squad is there just a matter of 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 who's going to play where and and how and you know how they want to play style stylistically.
1: I've always been a fan of of Mallory Swanson. I'm like, yeah, like you said, like she made her debut when she was 16 years old. So I've been following her for a long time. Her finally getting a, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if she made that many appearances in the previous World Cup James, You know, more, better than me. When I think it was just one or was just one, one or yeah, two it was like the one back. or two. She, ba- she
0: was she on the bench the in that in that blowout game. against Thailand, and I, I remember she bagged. Yeah, I've, few, I've thirteen should... nothing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think I just another thing to mention on the bench for the US this game, Rapino and Lavelle didn't step on. That's 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 two that's probably I think I think the two maybe most impactful players that you can get in the midfield and on the, both well, Rapino coming in on the wing and uh, Rose Lavelle being an eight or even I think she pushed up as a 10 is also disgusting, but um, they did that with the two of their stronger players on the bench and a uh, shout out to Gotham. Subbing, bringing on Lynn Williams, Midge Purse, and Christy Mewis, all in off the bench, and uh, WSL season can't come soon enough. And while uh, we're talking about seasons that can't come soon enough, Major League Soccer is what I really meant to say because we got a week, eight days, and it's back. MLS is back. I think they, I think they coined the MLS is back phrase. So I don't know if I can even say that on the air. Conf- remember the pandemic tournament in the bubble. And they, they yes. I think they coined that I, I don't know strange, um, got, strange times yeah the, the FCC is gonna be gonna be I, I might have to have a word with them but anyway uh what what is there to talk about we got everything to talk about the kits just dropped uh finally for the first time they're all different and not just like one template design pasted over the other with different colors and badges so I thought that was really cool good for the league uh Apple TV plus I still have not bought my season pass I'm starting to freak out about it gotta get on that I'm um, gonna be a great deal yet all team all the teams um what a new york city fc looking to bring in uh let's yeah, let's do local even though i'm all the way and i'm I'm not stateside like y'all um well i'm stateside but not your state um nycfc bringing in matt freeze to replace sean johnson they have now they have a, a goalkeeper not only to be the starter but to be the starter for the future matt freeze is young and i think has the potential to be an elite starter he's not there yet probably going to come in as one of the lower tier mls goalkeepers but i think he has the potential to be uh, like a really good foundational piece uh, in between the sticks for them. They might bring Richie Ledesma in on loan to replace Maxi Morales as an attacking midfielder. And they desperately need that because they lost w- pretty much all of their biggest attacking pieces. They might be bringing back Santiago Rodriguez, but Nico Acevedo gone, Maxi Morales gone, Ebert gone. Um,
1: all the sorry, Fatih Castellanos
2: gone. gone. Uh, Alexander Cayenne's gone. But th- I think they're going to be fine in defense. You know, their backline they brought in. A new left back. Their back line's going to be going to be strong. I think Tavon Gray made some big steps last year. I think he's a terrific right back, and I think that Maxime Cheneau is going to be the new captain, and he's going to slide into Kyan's place next to uh, Martins. But uh, Nick, I, I'm going to go to you for this one because I'm I, I'll do the piece on NYCFC. I'll do the Smurfs. You 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 take us. What what should we be excited about for the Red Bulls this year? For the New
0: York Red Bulls, we've got no more. Aaron long, which some people like James are very upset about. I'm also, he's a good, he's a good, he's a good defender, no matter what people want to hear. He's a very good defender. So there's going to be some change there. I think for the red bulls, it's just about sort of taking that next step. You know, these young guys that are, that are, that are in this team, whether it's John Tolkien are are these guys going to take sort of the next step in their development and kind of collectively improve as a unit. If that happens, the Red Bulls can do a lot of damage this season. And I think it will happen because I think sort of those young pieces are there. And I think from what we've saw last year, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of what we saw at Red Bull Arena wasn't so pretty at times in, in terms of results and wins and play and just the whole thing. But, I think I think the Red Bulls have pieces this season to do some damage in at Major League Soccer. You know, they're a perennial playoff team. I, I don't really expect that to change, but it's just about whether that that next step can be taken.
2: Gino, any any MLS story you wanna you wanna get your piece on really quick before we wrap up?
1: I think this season is gonna be Mark exciting because the Apple deal. I've been saying it all year long. This Apple deal is something I think baseball fans want which is no more blackouts. You can watch every team anywhere and anytime. So in the locals in perspective, for NYCFC, it's definitely a new era. You talk about their championship you know, season two seasons ago, which is unbelievable. All those star players are gone. So it's definitely a new era for NYCFC with you know bringing new players, You know, Sean Johnson leaving, which is definitely a big blow for NYCFC, bringing a new goalkeeper. But um, I think the season's going to be really, really fun. And especially with this owl deal, which is because, you know, you weren't able to see a lot of, you know, games of the other teams. So, uh, yeah, I just can't wait for it to, to start right away next week.
2: Yeah. And so as this, I think, will be our last show before the season starts real quick. Everyone pick a supporter shield champion and, a, and an MLS Cup champion. I will start. I will give I think the supporter shield will go. To LAFC. I do. I think they'll win the supporter shield and And I say Philadelphia Union to win MLS Cup. We're really running up against this clock. I'll yeah, go. Yeah,
0: Get I'll in go Philly, now. I'll reverse you. Philly Union supporter shield, LAFC repeat
1: as MLS Cup champions. I'm going to say Union supporter shield and I think LA champion.
2: All right. Well, we're all. I see that is. We bet with the the finalists from last year, but that'll do it for us at Fuvfc. Thanks for listening this week. We will see you guys next time. Fuvfc is a production of WFUV Sports.